This is the last message in the e-transfer series we began back in September. Uh, next weekend, we'll get into our mini Christmas series, The Arrival Foretold, uh, looking at the book of Hebrews next weekend, and then a number of Old Testament prophecies that point to the coming of Jesus. In the new year, we will be back in the book of Revelation, and so if you've been here throughout the year, you'll remember that at the beginning of the year, we started in uh, Revelation, Revelation chapters 1 through 3, and we'll dip back into Revelation and do chapters 4 through 11 just after the new year. So looking forward to that. As I said, this is the last message in this e-transfer series, and in this series, we've reminded ourselves of our, our reason for existence. Uh, it's in the, the mission statement of the church to know Jesus Christ personally and to carry on his ministry. Hopefully those words just flow off your tongue. If somebody asks you what is Willingdon Church about, you should just have that in your heart and mind, to know Jesus and to carry on his ministry. And then we've talked about five E words that, um, that show us how we live out this discipleship journey. Exalt, evangelize, engage, equip, and empower. So we are here to lift high the name of Jesus, to exalt him. We are here to share the message of Jesus joyfully. We're here to engage in community, to encourage one another. We're here to equip one another for ministry, and we're here to empower one another to serve Jesus wherever he calls us, whether that be Willingdon Church, Metro Vancouver, or around the world. And over the last number of months, we've been looking more specifically at spiritual gifts, the way that God has gifted us by his spirit for ministry. We've been equipped. Every follower of Jesus has received a spiritual gift or gifts, most likely. And so we've been equipped. We're trying to understand what that means because we want to serve Jesus, carry on his ministry wherever we are. Today, we're going to conclude this series with a, a message on the gift of prophecy. And as soon as I say that, some of you maybe say, oh, finally, I'm so happy we're talking about prophecy. And others might be a bit nervous. Oh, no, what's he going to say? And yet others might be confused. What? Gift of prophecy? What's that? Well, thankfully, we have the Word of God to instruct us. And before we open it, let's pray. Father, <clears throat> again, we just thank you uh, for the gift of your Word and we thank you, Jesus, that you are present by your Spirit to instruct us. And so we humble ourselves before, before you and ask you to open our hearts and minds to receive your word and then to follow you in faith, Jesus, to put it into practice, to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It's page 960 if you grab a Bible from the seat back in front of you. Uh, just want to begin with a Willingdon story. So... Some time ago, in the 1970s, Pastor Herb Neufeld was the senior pastor of this church, and he was starting something called small group ministry. And he invited one of our members, Paul Thiessen, longtime elder, founding member of the church, to begin a small group. And Paul responded in this way, that's not my gift. But then, out of obedience to Jesus and to Pastor Herb, he started a small group. In that season, Paul went to a ministry conference here in Burnaby. And in the middle of that conference, the leader of the conference, um, he asked that the pastors present would go to the aisles. And then those attending were to go find a pastor and receive prayer. So Paul, again, being obedient, went to find a pastor. And the pastor that he found said to him, close your eyes and lift your hands in worship. So Paul did that, and the pastor began to pray for Paul. And this is what he said. 
your pastor asked you to lead a small group and you said, that's not my gift. And you're right. God says he does not need your gift. He wants you to be the one, he wants to be the one who teaches through you. So the pastor prayed back exactly what Paul had said to Pastor Herb. That word changed everything for Paul. He was filled with tremendous joy, and he and his wife Louise led small groups for many years here at Willingdon, had wonderful times together, led discovery groups, saw many come to faith. After that pastor had prayed for Paul, he asked the pastor, well, who are you? And he said, well, I'm a pastor from Santa Barbara, California, and I came up just for this conference. So Paul knew that that pastor would not have had any knowledge of what he had said to Pastor Herb. So he understood that God had seen him, had heard him, and spoken to him, and he responded in obedience. That's the beauty of the gift. The Holy Spirit comes alongside. The Holy Spirit encourages. The Holy Spirit builds up followers of Jesus. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love, Paul writes. And let's just stop there to remember the context, what has come just before chapter 14. You'll remember that uh, this chapter 14, it's part of a larger section. It starts in chapter 11. In chapters 11 through 14, Paul, uh, Paul uses something called the Apostle Paul, not our Paul Thiessen. The Apostle Paul, he uses something called a chiastic pattern. It would have been evident for the readers of the text at that time, but for us it's a bit uncommon. So what Paul does is he starts talking about how disciples should conduct themselves when the church comes together. And then he, in chapter 12, he talks about spiritual gifts. In chapter 13, he gets to the heart of the section. He talks about the most excellent way, love. Then he returns to speak about um, spiritual gifts in chapter 14, and he ends again talking about how the church should conduct itself when the, the believers gather. So that's the structure, and it highlights what's in chapter 13, the, the essential virtue, love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2, Paul writes this, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So let's just remember that the great commandment of Jesus, of our Lord, is not to speak in tongues and prophesy. What is it? And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is the great commandment. So the sign of the fullness of the Holy Spirit is love, the fruit of the Spirit. And love helps us discern what we should pursue. And Paul will talk about the spiritual gifts that we are to pursue in our text today. So back to chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in the tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. 
What does Paul mean when he says that we should earnestly desire certain gifts? Well, it just means to to, uh, pursue with devotion, to seek passionately. He talks about an ongoing action there. We need to remember chapter 12, verse 11 as well, where he talks about spiritual gifts in the, the first part of this section. Verse 11 of chapter 12, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so we see the sovereignty of God and our human responsibility coming together. God is sovereign over all things. He distributes the gifts, but we are to seek passionately the gifts that Paul will point out. Uh, What kind of gift are we to desire? Verse 12 of chapter 14. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Paul instructs the church to desire the gift of prophecy because he truly believes that God's people will be encouraged, consoled, built up through the gift of prophecy. Verse 3, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Paul desires that all speak in tongues, but even more, that all prophesy. What Why is the gift of prophecy of more value than the gift of tongues? Well, the first point in your outline. The gift of prophecy is God encouraging, consoling, and building up the church family. It's not just for an individual. It's for the entire church family. Can that gift of tongues become a prophetic gift? Well, Paul says yes, if it's interpreted, if the church understands the word from God. What would motivate us to to desire this gift of prophecy? Well, exactly what Paul says there. When the gift of prophecy is exercised rightly, the church is encouraged. People fall in love with, or or, sorry, come to love Jesus even more. They love the church more. Their hunger for the word grows. They become more passionate in worship. They embrace the mission of God for them. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so when we hear the voice of God, when we believe that the Holy Spirit is truly speaking to us, we're encouraged, we're comforted, We're strengthened in our faith. We want to follow Jesus even more passionately. Uh, Here's an example in Acts chapter 15, verse 32. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. It's so encouraging when we understand that Jesus, the chief shepherd, is truly present and is speaking to us. How would we define the gift of prophecy? Here's a very simple definition. God's word to God's people under the inspiration of the Spirit. God's word spoken to God's people under the inspiration of the Spirit. And the gift of prophecy, it can come in three forms. God's word communicated in at least three forms. First, the prophetic application of the written word of God. This will sometimes happen in sermons. And so you see this in the Old Testament, for example. Isaiah and Jeremiah, they take uh, the, the books of Moses and they apply what has been revealed there to the people of their day. Or if you go to the book of Acts, Peter, taking Old Testament scriptures and applying them 
to his audience at the, on the day of Pentecost. Stephen, when he preaches in Acts chapter 7, he does the same thing. So the prophetic application of the written word of God. Secondly, the prediction of the future. You see this in the Old Testament with prophets like Daniel, Zechariah. You see it in the New Testament, the prophet Agabus or John in the book of Revelation. Thirdly, the gift of prophecy, it can be a personal message revealing God's heart for a specific person or group. Again, a biblical example, the prophet Nathan speaking directly to David. You see it in the New Testament when Jesus speaks to Peter, when he speaks to Paul. Scripture, the Bible, it reveals God's will for all people at all times in all places. But there are moments when God wants to reveal his particular will for a specific person, a church, a group, a city, a nation, at a particular moment in history. So the prophetic can provide specific guidance, specific direction in a particular moment. That's what happened with Paul Thiessen. You see it as well in the scriptures. In Acts chapter 13, the church in Antioch, they are worshiping, they are praying. And in that moment, God speaks and Paul and Barnabas are to be set apart for ministry. Here's another Willingdon example. In 2017, Pastor Norm Schmidt For a variety of reasons, he was wrestling with his role as pastor at Willingdon. One Saturday night, he was sitting in front of his computer, and uh, he drafted a resignation letter. So his full intent was to come here on Sunday morning to serve well, to serve the family that he had come to love, and then on Monday, submit that resignation letter to the elders. Came here Sunday morning, he was in front of the prayer center out there in the lobby, and a man came up to him that he did not know. And the man said that he wanted to speak to Pastor Norm, so Pastor Norm thought, okay, he wants to receive prayer. He took the man up to his office, and there in Pastor Norm's office, this man said many things to Pastor Norm about his life. And in the middle of the conversation, he said this, and I quote, about that letter you wrote last night? God says, as one of his shepherds, you are still needed in this community. So Pastor Norm received that word as coming from the Lord. He had asked the Lord for wisdom. And the Lord spoke to him directly, and he tore up the resignation letter, and he continues to serve at Willingdon as the care ministry's team leader. That is the beauty of the prophetic gift. What's the best context to exercise the gift of prophecy? Again, Paul is clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 22. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together, and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Now just imagine if we tried to practice that here in this service. Everyone sharing a hymn, 
Everyone a lesson, everyone a revelation, a tongue. Paul obviously has in mind a much smaller gathering. The church met in homes. That's the the environment that Paul is thinking of. And he expects, fully expects each believer to come with a hymn, with a message, with a teaching. Paul writes in verse 31 of chapter 14, For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. That could only happen in a small group. Verse 29, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. So Paul is imagining an environment where God's people come together and his full expectation is that each person that comes to the group actually has something to contribute. The members of the group are sharing life together. And so someone comes with a song, with a lesson, with a teaching, with a word. Are there words of caution if the gift of prophecy is to be exercised? Well, for sure. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20, Paul writes, Brothers... Don't be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. But in your thinking, be mature. We are to be mature in our thinking about the gift of prophecy. And we are to weigh what is said within the church family. Be very careful of those prophets who operate on their own. In isolated fashion. With no accountability to church leadership or the church family. Be very careful. What are some criteria for weighing the um, prophetic word? Well, first of all, the true prophetic gift never speaks contrary to the Bible. It never speaks contrary to the revealed written word of God. If you have a prophetic word, if someone comes to you with a word that they say is from the Lord, well, then study it, examine it, pray over it. Ask God to confirm it. God will not contradict himself. He is consistent. True prophecy will not add a new doctrine to the scriptures, will not come with a new revelation about Jesus. Don't receive prophets that come communicating to you that they are the bearers of hidden mysteries, of knowledge that no one else has, that they have this special connection with God that most people don't have. Be careful when someone comes with that kind of spirit or a prophet that somehow undermines your confidence in God and the written word. Secondly, the true prophetic gift always emphasizes the lordship of Jesus. Again, uh, chapter 12, verse 3, Paul is clear. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And so true prophecy, it always exalts the name of Jesus. Always leads you to worship, to a greater understanding of God's sovereignty, of the wonder of who he is. The Bible never says, submit yourselves to the prophets. It never says that. And so if someone comes exercising the gift of prophecy with that kind of expectation that you are just to submit to them because they're the bearers of God's word, don't receive it. The body of Christ is to weigh prophetic words. Most often, a person with this gifting will be very reluctant to actually share the word. For example, in the Old Testament, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, the person that truly carries this gifting will walk with humility before God and before the church family. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 36, 
Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So discern, weigh the word, discern the life of the person prophesying. Does that person truly love God, truly love the church family? Does that person submit to God and church leadership? What are their lives marked by? Then the true prophetic gift always leads followers of Jesus and those that are visiting to worship. 1 Corinthians 14 verses 24 and 25. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever outsider enters... He is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So you see the fruit of a word truly being from the Lord. When the word is from the Lord, all are led to worship God, to glorify, to adore, to praise, not to honor the prophet, adore the prophet, no, God. If the person receiving that word is not a follower of Jesus, what does Paul say? That person will be convicted. That person's secrets will be exposed, and that person will fall on his or her face and say, God is really among you. That's the fruit of it. The true prophetic gift, fourthly, is for the common good. Be very, very careful when someone comes with a prophetic word, or at least says it is, and uh, promises you tremendous financial blessing, for example. You know, it just speaks to something that you want. Or if you're a pastor like me and the person, your ministry is just going to be blessed. It's going to go global. It's going to be amazing. Sometimes you'll hear things like that. And it's speaking to your ego, to your desires. Be careful when you hear that. Is Jesus truly being glorified through the word? Discern the fruit of prophetic words. Are people being encouraged? Is the body being built up? Are people being transformed into the likeness of Jesus? Is their hunger for the word growing? Are they more passionate about prayer? Are they more passionate about leading others to Jesus? What's the fruit? And then fifthly, the true prophetic gift, it speaks in continuity with God's revealed direction. What do I mean by that? If God has given you direction in your life, your personal life, or God has given direction to a church family, he is not going to redirect you or the church with one prophetic word. God is a God of continuity. If God truly wants you to change direction, he will speak to you over and over. He will confirm his word to you so that you truly understand that it is his direction. An example of God speaking repeatedly in the Old Testament. Israel had entered the promised land. It was promised to Abraham, to his descendants. There they were. And they got comfortable. They engaged in idolatry. And so they needed to change. And God began to speak to them about the danger that they were in. How often did God speak to them? Well, over a period of centuries, over and over and over again. In fact, in my Bible, it's 200 pages of prophetic words. God wanted the people of Israel to understand and obey. God knows how to communicate. Here's an example of the abuse of 
the prophetic. I was in a church service, and a child was being dedicated. And right in the middle of the child dedication, a person got up, tried to, trying to communicate that he was just being compelled by the Spirit, and he said this. He said, Jesus is coming. Nothing new. And then he said, the current pastor of this church has served well, and now God is raising up one of the elders to lead this church until the coming of Christ. Not helpful. Really bad timing. Absolutely no respect for the family, for the child being dedicated, no respect for church leadership, no respect for the church family. Learned later that that supposed prophetic word, it was the fruit of a divisive spirit in a small group of that church where people were resisting the leadership of the church. That's where it came from didn't come from God. So that kind of redirection for a church family, it's not going to happen in a child dedication. It will come in other ways. And if there is a prophetic word, it needs to be submitted to church leadership. Be very, very careful of prophetic words where there's a divisive spirit. Then a sixth point. The true prophetic gift, it doesn't alter the personality of the prophet or make that person speak in a language that not, is not his own. Uh, Paul writes in, in chapter 14, verse 32, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So sometimes a person that claims to carry the prophetic gift will start using language to manipulate you, like, thus saith the Lord. Be careful when someone does that. They'll alter their voice. They'll use language they don't normally use. They'll demand an audience. Be careful with prophets that want the platform. Whether it be in a larger church family gathering or in a small group. They want to be the voice of God for the group. Don't receive that. First, when God is working through a person, he does not annul the person's personality, their mind, their language. That's actually a mark of the evil one. Secondly, truth prophets, they respect church leadership. They respect the order of service. They respect the church family. Then seventh, the true prophetic gift never leads us away from the way of love. True prophecy, it leads us to love Jesus more, to love the church more, not to judge the church, but to pray for it, to forgive it, to walk with it. Be very careful when someone comes with a prophetic word and that word actually judges people that you're upset with, (laughs) judges your enemies, judges people that have offended you, or a prophetic word that comes and, and condemns you. If you are truly seeking the Lord, following him, the Lord is not going to come with a word of condemnation on you. As, as pastor, uh, one of the pastors at Willingdon, uh, I get this every now and then. At the end of a service, someone will come forward. It's just part of the role. Someone will come forward and condemn me and condemn the church. I just don't receive that as being from the Lord. If we truly are trying to follow Jesus, we may not do that perfectly, but if we are following Jesus, want to get to know him personally and carry on his ministry, the Lord is not going to come with a hammer or a word of condemnation. 
He'll come with a word of encouragement. He'll come with a word of, of consolation, of building up. And if there is correction, he will make that clear. Be careful with prophetic words from angry prophets. Jesus says in John chapter 10 that his sheep hear his voice. And most often he'll come with a still small voice. He'll speak to your heart. Then, eighth, the true prophetic gift is clear and it leads to obedience. God really wants us to understand his word and respond in love. He doesn't have a problem with communication. If we're not hearing, the problem is with us. It's because we don't want to listen. When God speaks to us and is giving us direction, he will give direction over and over. He'll speak through different means. He'll confirm his word, again, because he wants us to understand. Think of the coming of Jesus. How many times did God speak to the people of Israel about the coming of the Messiah? If you look at the Old Testament, there are over 300 prophecies speaking about the coming of the Messiah. So when Jesus came and he was walking around Israel and he was speaking forth the word of God, anointed by the Holy Spirit, and he was doing signs and wonders that gave glory to God and people refused to hear him, rejected him. The problem wasn't with God, his communication, it was with the hearts of the people. Their hearts were hard. God can communicate. The other most prophesied event in scripture, of course, is the second coming of Jesus. And so that's why we're going back into Revelation after Christmas. We need to pay attention. Let me give you a personal example. Um, Beginning of 2014, I resigned from my previous role. And I did that because God had been speaking to me for a number of years. And he spoke to me as I was just reading the scriptures on my own. My times of prayer, God was speaking to me uh, about a change in direction. In other moments, he spoke through people. He spoke through dreams. Anyways, well, all I'm saying is that God spoke to me so often that I knew what God wanted me to do, even though I didn't understand it. It became a matter of trust in Jesus, of obedience to him. And I could choose to be rebellious and refuse to resign, but I knew what God was asking me to do. When God wants to say something, he is very clear. So, having said all of this about prophetic words, all these words of caution, what would Paul say to us? Chapter 14, verse 39, end of the chapter. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Why does Paul say that? Well, because he knows the beauty, the value of the gift of prophecy. He's been blessed by it. Others have been blessed through him as God has used him. He knows that the gift of prophecy is there for the encouragement, the comforting, the building up of God's people. So we are to walk in love, trusting God to guide us. Sometimes we walk in fear. We believe that Satan is more able to deceive us than God is able to guide us. And if that is our fear then I think we need to evaluate our fear. Why? Why would we walk in such fear? Is Satan really more able to communicate with us than God is? Some orientation for those who earnestly desire the gift of prophecy. First of all, saturate yourself in the written word of God. 
Immerse yourself in the scriptures. Don't even try to exercise the gift of prophecy if you do not know the word of God. You will be dangerous to yourself and to others. Secondly, worship, pray, fast, seek God's face, request the gift for the reasons given here, for the blessing of God's people. Thirdly, walk in humility before the leaders of your church, the church family. If you believe you've received a word for someone, then just submit it humbly for discernment. And then fourthly, learn from those with prophetic gifting. Receive teaching, discernment, those who have gone before you. A final word from Paul. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. What's he saying? Don't look down on the prophetic. Don't put out the fire. Don't dismiss it as if it's nothing, but test words. Hold fast to what is good. Cling to it. One more example. Um, One Sunday morning in Calgary, uh, Pastor Willie just received this prompting that he was to go talk to one of the members of the church. His name is Stan. Stan was a faithful uh, member of the church. He was a great prayer warrior, but Stan was 72 years of age, and he was dying of cancer. So after morning services, Pastor Willie went to Stan's home that afternoon, and uh, as he entered Stan's room, Pastor Willie said, Stan, I believe God just wants me to share a word with you. You are my son whom I love. And as soon as Stan heard that, he just began to weep. Because all morning he had been wrestling with God's love for him. Did God accept him? Had he done enough for God? And as soon as he heard that word, he knew that that was God's word to him on that day. He knew that God had seen him, that God had heard his cry, that God had spoken to him. So Stan passed away, and at his funeral, the casket was open. And embroidered on the lining of the casket were these words, You are my son whom I love. That is the beauty of the prophetic. God's people encouraged, comforted, built up. God's people knowing that Jesus truly is present as shepherd to love them, to guide them, to lead them forward, that they don't walk alone. We live in the 21st century. These are challenging times. These are confusing times. These are uncertain times. Would God not want his people to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to be built up, to be directed, guided? May we walk grounded in the scriptures and open to all that God has for us in our day. Amen? Let's stand for prayer. So, Father, we do thank you that you have drawn us to yourself and we have the privilege of being your children, your sons and daughters. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Jesus, for sending your Holy Spirit to live within us. And we've been gifted by your Spirit. We're grateful. May we pass on, Lord, all that we have received. May we practice the spiritual gifts 
not just the gift of prophecy, all of them. May we practice them grounded in your word, following the orientation given, walking in love for you, Lord, for your people, walking with wisdom, walking with faith. May we be open to all that you have for us, Lord, in our day, that we might be your people in this generation, proclaiming your name with joy, with confidence, sensitively, with your words for our brothers and sisters and also for those beyond the church community. Your words for those that don't understand, Lord, who you are. Don't understand the meaning of your coming, Lord. May we be gifted with your word, your words of wisdom and love. And so we submit ourselves to you and say, Lord, may you have your way. May your name be lifted high. May your kingdom come. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.